0: Welcome back to Driving Forces, where we focus on the big issues in city, state, and national politics, the ones that matter to you. I'm your host, Jeff Simmons, and as always, I am joined by my lovely co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston. Good day, Celeste. Good day, Jeff. Pleasure to be here with you, as always. So as Celeste knows, and I'll let our listeners know, I am in Chicago uh, for a moment, a historic moment that's coming up with the historic Pullman Foundation and National Park uh, dedication ceremony happening this weekend. But the reason I'm bringing this up is that while driving out here to Chicago, I did experience the beginning of Hurricane Ida hitting our region and, you know, spend about four hours driving through rain. But it's just been horrific watching the footage and reading the stories and seeing what has happened in New York over the last 24 hours, Celeste.
1: Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the number of deaths, you know, thinking about people in uh, Queens, for example, but throughout the city, throughout the region, as well as in uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, a lot of these places just, uh, you know, I thought Hurricane Sandy was bad. I thought that was, was something that I would see once in a lifetime. And now, again, as you said, you know, we're starting to see these kinds of uh, catastrophes. If you look at some of the footage, you know, some of it is, is sort of amusing almost. There was a, a, a video going around of a guy like on a raft, basically, uh, facetiming or, or something, you know, sort of making light of it. But then when you see these tragedies of people, uh, being trapped in cars, of being trapped in flooded buildings and, uh, first responders struggling valiantly, I would say, to get to them and help them, it, it it's really just, It's almost beyond words, Jeff.
0: I know. I mean, right now they're estimating about two dozen people had been killed in New York, in New Jersey, Pennsylvania. I mean, and more than 150,000 without power. It's just incredible. And you're right. You know, you see some of the video and you're just astounded by this. And you think of each one of these storms. I mean, you went back to Sandy. I'm trying to remember the order, you know, or when Irene had happened, but then I I, I can never say it the correct way. You say, Yes. Um, and, but also, you mean less, last week? It seems so long ago now that Henri, uh, you know, and and what's interesting, though, what's been amazing to me was watching uh, our new governor, New York State Governor Kathy Hochul, speak at news events and also at press conferences today, press conferences, but on CNN today, uh, compared with the way Andrew Cuomo would have handled this as far as where we point fingers in a case like this.
1: Yeah, and I think it'll be interesting. And I think we have a call segment coming up later on in the program. But I think it will be interesting to hear from people, you know, how they feel that uh, our new governor, Governor Hochul, is responding to this, how she is handling this and, you know, the kinds of questions she's asking, where she's putting the emphasis. I know she has some other broadcast appearances coming up tonight. And of course, Jeff, we have asked her and we are in talks to have her appear right here on Driving Forces soon.
0: Yeah, I mean, and folks, you know, there's a lot of issues that are going on right now. I mean, there are times where I feel like the country is going to hell in a handbasket. I know that's a word we can say on the radio right now, Celeste, but we can. listening, listening yesterday and being appalled while driving to what was taking place in Texas. Normally, you, we would focus immediately in a show like that, but today's focus is something where we, you know, we have wanted to do for some time as we get right back to the new school year and talk with um, We've talked with parents, or at least I've talked with a number of parents about what they've been going through and their fears about this semester. So we're going to be focused on that today. But this we don't want to ignore the fact that there's so much news going on right now and what's happening in Texas. This could have a ripple effect across our country, Celeste. Absolutely. I think that
1: what's going on in Texas, and that's something I was uh, speaking about on a different radio program actually a little bit earlier today, but the idea that uh, the Supreme Court has effectively chosen not to bar this law that would uh, prohibit uh, abortion procedures uh, six weeks or possibly even earlier uh, into a pregnancy when uh, women may not even know that they are pregnant, that would uh, empower uh, private citizens who have no relationship to uh, the woman who is considering or seeking an abortion procedure uh, to uh, lodge a complaint, basically a a whistleblower type complaint against anybody who assists the woman in obtaining uh, a safe legal abortion. Uh, You know, I think other states are going to be looking at this and if they are minded towards limiting A woman's ability to obtain uh, an abortion to to end a pregnancy, uh, they're going to look to what Texas has done as a model.
0: Yeah, and and you also just think about uh, the Supreme Court's uh, decision not to stop the state law in its tracks, the signal this sends to many other jurisdictions. It's, you know, look, we're fortunate to live in New York State where there might not be any direct impact right now, but who's to say what will happen years from now? And that's the type of thing we also want to hear from you later on in the second half of the show. Uh, We're going to want to have you call in. We'll give you the number as we get closer to that, so you'll have it handy at that moment. Uh, But we, we do want to hear about that. We also, I mean, we've talked about the storm a few moments ago, Celeste. I really do want to know from our listeners, you know, what they think could have been done to prepare for something like this you know or, or it was interesting i think it was mayor de blasio that seemed to blame the meteorologist so who's to blame for something like this uh, not we're not talking about mother nature unless you want to say she's to blame but As far as preparing, because, you know, you know what it's like, Celeste, you have covered so many news conferences, I believe, with the Office of Emergency Management and city officials when they're talking about preparing for a winter storm or any type of storm. And this is a case where it seemed to just hit so severely without enough warning, without people being able to prepare. You know, who's to blame for something like that? So we do want to hear from you during the show on that as well, Celeste.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, there are always mentions of this is a hundred year storm, a 500 year storm. And I think, you know, again, um, you know, really uh, indelible in my mind what happened after Hurricane Sandy, where we talked a lot about reinforcing the defenses of the city, especially in low lying areas uh, against these kinds of storms. And, you know, the question really becomes how much can be done. Were things certainly were things done early enough? quickly enough, but how much actually can be done to prepare? Is this city just not built for uh, these kinds of storms, especially if they start coming more frequently and uh, more powerfully? I think, Jeff, the fact that, you know, a few minutes ago you were thinking back over the storms and you can't even remember what all of them are called really speaks to sort of the frequency of of what we are seeing here. And uh, of course, this is also, Jeff, uh, you know, Heard a lot of discussions about uh, getting serious about addressing climate change.
0: Agreed. this is this is just you know a troubling pattern and I have to say I'm just uh, sending over an email folks as we speak right now to our colleague in the uh, office right now and to Reggie just so he can give a call over to get our first guest on the line. Uh, We're talking about, by the way, Randy Weingarten, who heads the American Federation of Teachers, we we want to get to education uh, because an important hearing was held in New York City uh, this week regarding the new school year. And we want to hear also what's going on on a national level. But getting back to climate change, Celeste, it's just, you know, by the way, I'm bringing this up. We want to focus on environmental and climate issues in September, uh we want to get back to this later on in the month because i do know that the phone lines have lit up whenever right. we've discussed this topic you know yeah, it's just-
1: clearly very important to bai listeners as it should be as it should be because this is something that is not distant from us this is now we are seeing very clearly something that impacts our daily lives and you know again having lived through lots of storms just just like you jeff you know having having uh, covered them but also having experienced them uh you you know, it, it's one thing to see uh, wildfires out west or to see uh, storm surges uh, in the south, uh, uh, on the Gulf Coast, perhaps, or, or something like that in some of the, the more southern states, Florida, Louisiana, wherever it may be. But, uh, you know, seeing it right here at home and remembering what it was like. I mean, you know, again, I hate to keep harkening back to it, but I, it really, really sort of left this indelible impression in my mind, um, living in a, a high rise building where people were walking up uh, 10 and 12 and 15 flights of stairs carrying water because we had no running water. We had no power. We had no heat uh, in the wake of Hurricane Sandy. And that wasn't for a day or two days. That was for as long as two weeks. And if you think about people who are uh, elderly, people who have disabilities, people with small children, you know, this is something that we really have to think about going ahead, Jeff.
0: So we now have Randy on the line right now, and before we get to her, I just want to do a very brief intro. If you are not familiar with Randy Weingarten, she had stepped in his role as president of the union 13 years ago after leading here in New York City, or in New York City, the United Federation of Teachers Union for a dozen years. And that union, by the way, represents 200,000 educators, but the American Federation of Teachers, which she represents right now, uh, represents 1.7 million members across the country. And uh, earlier, uh, recently, she had called, she referenced the polarization and the politics that have been embedded in the COVID-19 discourse, uh, saying it's terrible for kids, it causes more confusion over how to prevent viral spread. We wanted to have her on today to elaborate on this and to talk about what's going on across the country, because what we experience in New York isn't necessarily, when it comes to COVID mandates, isn't necessarily what is happening in another number of states. So with that, Randy Weingarten, welcome to Drive forces on WBAI.
2: Thank you, Jeff, and sorry that uh, took a little while to, <laughs> to call in.
0: <laughs> no problem. We show, know you're and hope very
2: you and Celeste are okay. I'm in Broward today, out of you know wearing my mask and going to schools.
0: <laughs> and, and in fact, when you talk about that, I'd love for you to first give us just give us the national perspective looking at the landscape across the country. How are schools handling sure. reopening?
2: So, you know, they're handling it a lot better than the political discourse would suggest. Um, I've been in about, you know, since August 1st. And and, and I'm not a masochist. I, I don't want to get sick. You know, I'm double-vaxxed. I wear my mask all the time. And thank God, you know, I've been testing negative for COVID, you know, as frequently as I test. But I thought it was really important to be, you know, walking with um, members all across the country who have been engaged in these back-to-school campaigns. And, you know, we put out like $5 million to do a a GOTV back-to-school campaign, and we're standing up vaccine clinics and knocking on doors and talking to parents. And we're doing this in about 1,800 locals, which – um involve about 20 million kids so this is Broward is now the 24th place that i've been in since august 1st and i'm trying to be in 20 of the 30 states that we've been running these campaigns in and this is what i'm seeing i'm seeing two things at the same time our members parents kids they all understand how important being back to school is how important in-school learning is, that's where kids thrive, that's where they learn resilience, relationships, um, and and people understand the importance of being back to school in person and being back to school full-time. But at the same time, there's a real nervousness about the variant and what we need to do to make sure that we keep everybody safe. And keeping everyone safe is a community responsibility. And, you know, it is hard in places that don't see that and with governors like DeSantis or Abbott that make this an ideological issue and an election issue as opposed to a public health issue. But by and large, in every place that I've been, people are glad to be back in school. And in virtually every place I'm in, the protocols of masking and um, of the other layered mitigation including clear ways of doing quarantining and testing if there's an outbreak these things are being respected and the places that have that have seen far fewer outbreaks than the places that haven't and and it's been it's been pretty awesome to see the faces of kids even through masks of them really loving being back to school and seeing the magic that educators do to try to create a safe and welcoming environment for our children.
1: If you're just joining us, we are speaking with American Federation of Teachers President Randy Weingarten, uh, formerly of the UFT uh, in New York City. And uh, that's when I met her, I think, uh, covering uh, New York City public schools. So, Randy, it's nice to have you on the program. Good to hear your voice. Um glad to hear that Thank you me. are uh, you. keeping well and being careful about uh, about covid. Um, I want to ask you a question about going back to school, which is that I think for parents, students, teachers, for everybody, being remote for as long as uh, many kids were was very hard. And I'm wondering what you're seeing and hearing from parents, teachers, uh, kids about going back to school. Do you feel like a lot of ground was lost during the year that uh, kids were learning remotely? And is, is there anything in particular you think Is going to have to be done to reacclimate people and to make sure kids are caught up in where they need to be in terms of, uh, you know, grade level and so on.
2: So I think, Celeste, so first off, it's also nice to hear and talk to both of you. And, you know, I left New York City yesterday in the midday, so I wasn't there for the Armageddon rain last night, but I hope both of you are safe and as well. And, um, you know, I would just say, We have to think about this school year as a full school year of academic recovery and acceleration. We have never been through a pandemic in in modern time. We have never been through the pandemic that we just were. And so you can't actually compare it to a regular school year and what I'm or to regular school years and to the regular view that people have had about, you know, summer learning loss and things like that. But I do think one of what we've learned something from, you know, uh, kids that were back to school in the spring, even though it was only about a third of them, and about what happened in the summer, both in terms of summer camp as well as in terms of summer school. That the most important thing to do right now is how we help kids acclimate to not being isolated, how we help kids be together again in terms of a community, Building relationships with each other, and you know, having that kind of um, uh, of space and presence with each with other kids, I think the isolation, the social isolation, is the first thing that we have to really overcome. And 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 that building of relationships and the creating of confidence for kids again about being with each other and confidence in themselves. And I think that what will happen. Um, is that if kids start developing that confidence of being with each other and that confidence of being in social situations and start developing that emotional well-being, the OxyContin uh, the, um, uh, that, that, um, that Dr. Pam Cantor talked about at a town hall that we had um, this week, the, the relationship building, I think that the academics will follow. Because what we're driving for is kids being, waking up at home in the morning and saying, "I want to be in school," and and if we can think through about how we then create projects and how we then create kind of academic acceleration over the year, um, then we're gonna. Um, I think um, you know we're not gonna be just fine with for every single child, but we're gonna do a really. I think we'll 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 be more over the hump for most kids by the end of this academic year than what we're thinking about at the beginning so the interventions for example that new york city is doing i think is good the stuff that the the city council agreed to the intervention plans the assessments that we need um, teachers of individual classrooms to do i think all of that is going to be important and so the you know the the shortest answer to your question is we're going to know a lot more in a month or two than we know right now, but let's reopen schools safely. Let's create a welcoming environment right now. And then let's do the assessments that we need to do and think about the years and academic recovery.
0: And Randy, I'm glad that you mentioned, uh, the New York City, uh, council because yesterday there was a hearing where the school's chancellor and the health commissioner testified. And there was a bit of a moment, and we'll ask our next guest, New York City council member Mark Traeger, who chairs the education committee about this in with for more specifics. But there was a brief moment or two where there were protesters, including people who identified themselves as teachers. How do you, Convince teachers, or I'll change that. How do you persuade teachers to, you know, those who are resisting getting vaccination, vaccinated, or resisting any type of testing mandates or mask wearing? How do you persuade them that this is the better move, that this is something they need to do, not just for themselves, but their colleagues and the students?
2: So, you know, Jeff, I'm glad you asked that question. Look, I have had many a conversation with uh, several people who are in that group. We've had a Zoom, I've, I've had email exchanges with them, not only with the New York City folks, but all across the country. I really do believe that you have to have a real relationship and engage with people, even people who, you know, you totally disagree with and they totally disagree with you. And so, you know, I think it's been clear what my personal position is in terms of vaccines, and, I, and I'm really glad that as a union, as a national union, we have gotten to the position that we will be working with, not opposing our um, employers on these vaccine requirements. But we're also going to be bargaining about the impact of it. And I have to tell you, Bill de Blasio is being a jerk right now because instead of bargaining with the UFT about the appropriate you know, medical and religious exemptions, you know, he's, I don't, I don't know what, I don't, frankly, I don't know what the hell he's doing. And, and so, you know, and, and Michael Mogul has wanted to bargain. They've been in bargaining for the last few days and they've been hitting a stone, you know, they've been hitting a stone wall here. Um, And, and it's going to be important to do that kind of work because frankly, what you see is you see two groups of people. So 90% of our members, nationwide have gotten the vaccine volitionally like they knew that it was important they and their families and anybody around them they've gotten the vaccine and and i want to actually lift up the educators in america our last polling showed nationally that 90 percent had gotten the vaccine and three percent more either had appointments or were seriously considering getting them you tell me another group of people other than doctors who have done that. And if we had a 90% rate around the country, we'd be in a different position right now when the Delta variant hit. But in terms of your question about convincing others, we have had this terrible disinformation campaign. And so you got two groups of people. You have people for whom, who believe that this is an individual choice. And look, yes, it is an individual choice, but there are you know things that, that are not individual in terms of You know, teaching is not an individual choice. Teaching is a community responsibility. And so for the people who think it's just an individual choice and they have the right to do that, they will have the right to do that, but there will be consequences to that. But then there's another group of people, and this is the group of people that I really feel for. You know, people who have had immunocompromised um, situations, who don't know what a vaccine will do because of that situation whose personal doctors have told them that they shouldn't take the vaccine. And so we have to work through those situations. And frankly, we got a lot of medically fragile kids that are going to be on remote. There could be accommodations for those folks. And that's the kind of stuff that we have to work through. And that's when I don't understand why de Blasio is not working through those situations.
1: So stay. let's stay on that for a minute Because I think that's really important And I think that a lot of uh, parents and kids and teachers Are going to be very interested in this What do you think is motivating Mayor de Blasio here And what is it going to take to get him Where you think he needs to be on this
2: Well, look, I think that As I said, you know, I don't I live in New York City um, But I am not engaged Don't laugh at me. I am not engaged in the politics of New York City anymore. So I have no idea why he's being like this. I do know that, you know, he moved from vaccine or test as soon as he saw that the school system in Chicago worked through a vaccine mandate with with my local in Chicago. And the school system in L.A. worked through a vaccine mandate with my local in L.A., and, and, and we know there's been a long history of tension between Maury Lightfoot and the Chicago Teachers Union. But on this issue, they worked this through and they worked out these exemptions. And and they didn't have the same kind of sturm and drang as right here. So it could just be that, you know, he wants the headline that New York is doing the same thing as Chicago and and L.A., or it could also be that they are not as prepared as they should be on some of the other things, and you know, vaccines are a real layer of protection. So I don't know what's going on in his head, but I'm really disappointed in him that he's not working this through.
1: So is, is, that say, is that to say, is that to say, if he need, does in fact know, run for governor, he does not have your vote?
2: <laughs> I am, I, I am. As I said, I am not engaged right now in New York City or New York State politics. I am just expressing my sincere disappointment, and I hope he hears this, and I hope you tweet it. My sincere, my disappointment in him not working this through, and and not doing. I mean, what Michael Mogul is doing is he is actually doing what he needs to do in terms of really trying to figure out how you get to the, you know, the the these exemptions that are done under law and the accommodations that are needed so that you can, so that by, you know, September 13th, you, we can have uh, the kind of school reopening that everybody in New York wants, which is getting our kids back to school, having the safety measures in place, having the, you know, the 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 um, class, you know, having the kind of school opening that everyone in New York yearns for we need our kids to have as normal a year as possible we need schools to be there as the rhythm of the city and so it it it, it, it baffles me that he is not doing he the mayor is not doing everything in his power to actually work with the unions to to so that they, everybody is singing from the same hymnal as we get to reopening of schools
0: and on that at Randy Weingarten first, we will let you know we did tweet that. That's why I was quiet because it took me a while for my fingers to get moving. But I want to thank you so much for appearing here on WBAI today. It's wonderful to have you back on this show talking with Celeste and myself.
2: It is wonderful to be with the two of you. And please, please, please stay safe.
0: Stay safe. Thanks so much for tuning in tuning in with us today, Randy. Thanks. Have a great day. You have thank been you. listening. You too to Driving Forces with uh, myself, Jeff Simmons, and my wonderful co-host, Celeste Katz-Marston on WBAI, New York, 99.5 FM, and as we always remind you, streaming live at WBAI.org. Coming up in about maybe 15 minutes, uh, we're going to start taking your calls because we have another guest starting shortly. That number to call in about 15 minutes is 212-209-2877, again, that's will be two one two two zero nine two eight seven seven. So, uh, how how about about?
1: that? What did I think? I think that the president of the AFT just called Mayor Bill de Blasio a jerk and, uh, does not seem too impressed. I try to work in a question there about, uh, you know, some of this scuttlebutt that's going around about is, uh, is Mayor de Blasio, uh, outgoing? I should say Mayor de Blasio, uh, shopping around for opportunities to be the next governor of New York. Very interesting. Obviously he's standing around at press conferences right now with our new governor, Kathy Hope. Uh, lots going on in the city right now. Uh, not sure he's caught the tweet, but maybe we'll tag him in there. And certainly I would be interested to uh, to hear what he has to say about that. But I think we have another guest coming in who certainly has a lot to say about what's going on uh, in our schools. And this is uh, public schools, by the way, are something that Jeff and I have both covered uh, as reporters for a number of years. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that this is going to be a very interesting conversation. This is somebody who has uh, had a busy few days. He's here, I would say. Uh, next up with us, uh, here on Driving Forces on WBAI, we're happy to welcome to the program, uh, City Councilmember Mark Traeger. He represents the council's 47th district. That includes Densonhurst, Coney Island, Gravesend, and Seagate. Uh, he is a former public school teacher himself, taught at New Utrecht High School, uh, and, uh, was also active with the, uh, the UFT, the United Federation of Teachers, uh, serving as a union delegate, staff developer, um, member of the school leadership team, and, of course, he is the head of the City Council's Education Committee. So uh, lots of activity there. Council Member Mark Traeger, welcome to Driving Forces. Pleasure to have you here on the program.
3: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.
1: So, uh, you know, we've we've I've been following uh, some of the coverage of what you've been uh, saying and doing, and you definitely have expressed a lot of concern coming back into this school year about the Delta variant. How do you feel about how prepared the public school system is to deal with this? I'm not hearing a total vote of confidence there, but it could be a transmission issue. Council Member are you still with us?
3: Yes. Uh, can, can can you hear me? Now? I can hear you now. Okay. Sorry for that. Um, I was saying that after the hearing yesterday, I am more certain that New York City needs a remote option for our school families this coming school year. Um, New York City testified on the record yesterday that their testing plan for the coming school year is actually weaker. Than the testing plan in the last school year, when the majority of students were actually home and not in the building. This year, the mayor is insisting that everyone come back at the same time, uh, and we actually now have a testing uh, program that says the the testing is not required. If a child does not return the consent form to get tested, uh, they cannot get tested, and schools cannot... Require the return of these forms. So that's 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 number one. Uh, another big issue is that a lot of these cities' testing and quarantine rules for schools center around vaccination status. Well, at this hour, principals still do not know who in their buildings are vaccinated. They don't know who from their staff is vaccinated, and they don't know the students that are vaccinated. New York City testified yesterday that. Students who get vaccinated, the families can opt to fill out an online form to indicate vaccination status. Well, that was news to families. I spoke to many parent leaders from across the city who did not know about this. And it was not actually listed in the guidebook that the city just issued uh, for parents. It was also news to principals. So principals are rightfully asking How are we supposed to determine who has to quarantine, who has to get tested if we don't know uh, the vaccination status of folks? Um, And so that was one of many of the concerns that was raised yesterday. And I'll also conclude by saying this, and I'll be happy to answer more questions, that they seem to be preparing for remote because they testified on the record that they're, they're, they're ordering thousands and thousands of more laptops and Internet Wi-Fi hotspots. But they're not yet prepared to say that there will be a general remote option. Uh, And they haven't spelled out what would actually uh, force a school closure, other than saying that that widespread transmission in the school, although they did not define what that means. So I actually left the hearing more certain that we need a remote option for families this coming school year, particularly with no vaccine available for kids under the age of 12 years old.
0: And Councilman, it's great to have you back on the show. In fact, I've been wondering, you know, or envisioning rather, what this next semester, just even the next few months, what this is going to be like. And you, you kind of just, uh, uh, you know, answered my question that they, you know, the signs seem to be that they are preparing for fully remote or largely remote by, you know, uh, acquiring more laptops. I mean, do you envision that given... The, the high level of dissatisfaction that you and a number of others have—that we're just going to be headed in that direction—that some and the level of disruption that this causes, not just for for teachers and you know and for the administration, but the parents and the students and everyone involved in the system. Do you just do you believe that this next school year is going to be chaos? Uh, you know, I,
3: I want to just answer you this way. The mayor keeps saying that one of the big reasons why he wants everyone back right away now uh, in person. Uh, And and by the way, I'm a former public school teacher, as you mentioned, and I I know firsthand the value and the importance of in-person instruction, but I also know that we're still in a very serious pandemic with a more serious variant than we had last year. Um, And just to answer you this way, principals and teachers will be required to be a part of contact tracing in their schools. Uh, that's going to be a a big challenge, particularly in middle school and high school, when kids move to different classes. Remember, kids are not cohorted into the same groups as they are in elementary school, where they learn with the same kids all day. So what that means inevitably is that principals and teachers who are responsible to advance an instructional agenda to make sure kids are learning and and, and staying on top of things will be forced to become public health administrators. Uh, They'll be forced to conduct crisis management working with the city situation room to determine who is a close contact and communicating with parents and families. That's going to be time away from a lesson or for a principal time away from observing a lesson to make sure that uh, teachers and kids have what they need. So this is not going to be a normal school year. And I think the mayor needs to stop sugarcoating that it's going to be. But, But I believe fundamentally that just communicate effectively with parents. If you give parents and the public as much information as possible, the right information as possible, families and school communities will make better decisions. Right now, there is still major information gaps in even implementing the city's own plan.
1: And we're speaking with City Council Member Mark Traeger, the head of the uh, Council Education Committee here on Driving Forces. Celeste Katz-Marston and Jeff Simmons here with you till about 6 o'clock. And Council Member, I want to go back to what happened at that hearing. I know it wasn't uh, perhaps the the center and certainly not the most important thing that happened, but there were some anti-vax type protesters there. Uh, Were were those people, from what you have seen and heard, other than that, Hearing were those people sort of literally the few voices shouting from the peanut gallery, or have you spoken to, uh, you know, especially members of the teaching staff or school staff who are remain resistant to getting vaccinated, even as we're looking at a highly contagious Delta variant?
3: So, so first, uh, the overwhelming, uh, the, the the majority of the uh, education workforce, teacher workforce, um, is I believe from what I'm seeing the numbers getting vaccinated, uh, there certainly was uh, a very I would say, vocal and disruptive group yesterday. And, and I reminded the public that, you know, we're having a very important hearing. We're, we're in the people's house. We, we need to respect uh, folks uh, testifying, making sure that we get information out to the public, especially in the moment that we're in. And I was not going to tolerate uh, the, the type of language and, and the outbursts one after the other um my job is also to make sure that staff uh in the space is safe and and protected and so we asked the sergeant at arms to remove people that continuously disrupted the hearing cursed at the commissioner the chancellor and council members that was unacceptable and uh, I, i will not tolerate that
0: and we're talking about also the mayoral administration. I had been, you know, following a lot of uh, Twitter posts yesterday. I noted that, you know, some had raised the concern that the council was behind the eight ball too. Why didn't the council hold hearings earlier? Can you respond to those criticisms?
3: Sure. Well, uh, I am always ready to have a hearing anytime, any place, anywhere. Uh, I was ready to have a hearing on school reopening, uh, quite frankly, in the beginning of summer. Uh, the question is when the administration agrees to attend and share information. Um, I don't think it's uh, helpful for the public for us to just put on a spectacle with no information to be shared at all. I could hold a hearing in July. doesn't mean the chancellor will, will, will be there to answer questions or to provide information. Um, and I'm not in this business just to issue a tweet or, or, or a Facebook post. I'm in, this, I'm in this to get information out to the public and hold the administration accountable. Uh, so they they had wanted dates much later than September 1st. I demanded dates much sooner, but we f- settled on, on, this, on this date. And I will say that in, some information was shared yesterday that was new uh, to the public, uh, including the fact that they have ordered thousands of Internet-enabled laptops, which almost no one knew about. They have thousands of Wi-Fi hotspots for families, which no one knew about. Uh, The fact that now they're considering a food plan for kids who have to quarantine. I asked the question, if kids have to quarantine for 10 days, uh, can we make sure that they have access to food, school meals? They're considering a plan for that. So this was information that, quite frankly, they did not have much sooner. Uh, But I'm glad that we got this out for the public yesterday.
1: So, Council Member, you know, given that there there was this sort of, uh, you know, maybe under the radar or less publicized preparation with all these things, you know, buying laptops and Wi-Fi hotspots, talking about a food plan. I mean, I know you can't predict the future and we don't know what the Delta variant or maybe the next the next thing, you know, God forbid, is going to be. But can you give uh, parents and kids who might be listening here, do you have any sense of how likely it will be that we will make it through this school year in person? Do you see a circumstance in which we might have to go back to totally remote learning? Uh,
3: the way, you know, I, I just, I listen to the science. I listen to public health experts. I, I, I'm very mindful that our words carry weight, and, and, and I just try to be aligned uh, to, to the science and to the facts. What, what, what we're seeing uh, across the country and I'll, I'll give New Jersey as an example. The New Jersey governor was uh, very adamant that uh, schools come back all in person, everyone back. And again, I get that. I, I understand that in-person instruction is, is, is important, it's critical. But very interestingly, within the last couple of weeks, the New Jersey Education Department issued guidance to their school districts Uh, that they can prepare for a remote option because I believe they too are understanding that we still don't have a vaccine for kids under the age of 12. The health commissioner testified on the record yesterday that the Delta variant is now the dominant variant in New York city responsible for the overwhelming number of over 90% of the cases in uh, COVID in New York city, that it is more contagious to and from children than the older variants so it is reasonable to conclude that kids will inevitably get uh, uh, get this virus. There will be ca- confirmed cases in schools. Charter schools have already uh, opened in New York City, and I've already heard reports that in one Success Academy school, there were about three cases in the first week of school. Now, they, now they do have a remote option where families can shift to remote. So this is inevitable that there's going to be cases. Um, I believe very strongly that the city of New York needs to immediately implement and plan uh, a remote option for families to minimize the amount of disruption uh, that I definitely see coming our way.
1: And just just to follow up on that really quickly, since you mentioned about the quarantine, did you ever get an answer to your question about how kids who do have to quarantine are going to learn? You know, I, I saw you uh, speaking about this and you said, you know, sending home a worksheet is not going to cut it.
3: So uh, they broke some news yesterday right on the eve, right right before my hearing started. They reached Uh, some agreement with the UFT, although the details we're still seeking to get out. Uh, What they testified was that children who are in elementary school, if one child tests positive uh, uh, with COVID-19, then the entire class, not the entire school, but the entire class, will then have to quarantine. Um, And the teacher uh, who works with that class uh, will work with the kids with with live remote instruction, so that that they have settled. What remains unclear is what happens in middle school and high school, because uh, again, as mentioned before, in, in high schools, kids are not with the same teacher all day. Uh, they they move from class to class, different periods, uh, and the language there says that the kids will receive a asynchronous instruction. Um, when if they have to quarantine. So what that means is that there won't be a live teacher with them. Uh, in, in theory, something could be posted online for them to fill out. So to be clear, when I say worksheets are not instruction, I mean that. But I also want to say an online worksheet is not instruction either. You, I do believe we need to have educators working with, with the kids, and that's the piece that, I, that is still missing as far as the middle school and high school piece, they did not give much clarity on that, but they said stay tuned for additional information.
0: And, Councilman, there's so much more we'd love to talk about, but we are out of time. Can you let our listeners know where they can go if they want to learn more about you and your work?
3: Uh, folks could certainly uh, send me an email. Uh, I have great staff, and, and I like to read all my emails as well. Uh, mtrager at council nyc.gov. I also have the Facebook page, which I post updates regularly, Mark Traeger, and I'll be happy to uh, answer questions or address concerns.
0: Councilman, thank you so much for joining Celeste Katz-Marston and myself here on WBAI today.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: So in just a moment, we are going to, actually right now, we're opening up the phone lines. What do you think about what you heard today from Randy Weingarten or Councilman Mark Traeger? Give us a call, 212 209-2877. Once again, that number, 212-209-2877. Uh, we're gonna take a short break if we don't get any calls right away, but we do, Celeste and I do wanna mention that, uh, we are just very happy that you have tuned in today to listen to Driving Forces because we are happy to bring you conversations, important, timely conversations like the one, ones that you've heard today.
1: Absolutely. And we definitely want to hear from you. 212-209-2877. 212-209-2877. And you know what? When, when times are tough, when things get really wild, I think radio is one of the best ways to stay informed. You can have it, you can listen to it on the go. If you're on the train, if you're walking on your way to uh, work or to school, you can check it out. And that's why it's really important that we ask you if you care about your city, and you care about getting the latest and clearest and most free speech oriented news about the city, please consider becoming a member of the station. Just go to wbai.org, wbai.org, and click ways to donate. We always want to remind you, of course, that we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and your gift is tax deductible. And if you make a gift of $25 or more, you become a member of this station. and you You can have influence about what goes on here and make sure that we maintain and lift up all your favorite programs on politics, news, the arts, music, culture, and more. So please go to to WBAI.org and click Ways to Donate. Become a member. Support Free Speech Radio in New York City.
0: And, uh, of course, if you do give a donation of $25 or more, that makes you a member of this station. And something that's less than I haven't mentioned for a while, uh, because, you know, we thought we hopefully thought we were ending this pandemic, uh, are the masks. The WBAI masks. The I think it's $35 each that you can get. I got two, one black, one white. I love wearing them, although I wash them too much, so I might have to order another one absolutely so remember
1: wbai.org click ways to donate and we are opening up the phone lines right now we have a lot of people who want to uh, talk today remember that number 212-209-2877, 212-209-2877 if you can't get through right away hang in there we will take as many calls as we can going to go to our first caller right now wbai you're on the air what's your name and where you're calling from
4: up in plane,
1: Celeste. Uh, hey, Russ, how are you doing today? What's up?
4: Hey, Celeste. hey, don't mind me, but I'd like to point out that you refer to teachers and staff as hesitant, but the parents as anti-vax stragglers. So there's an implicit bias there, and I'm just pointing that out.
1: And well, thing, Russ, what you... we said, well, I think the question was, uh, not to interrupt you, but the question was, you know, uh, what are you doing about teachers or about people who are hesitant? I'm not implying that one group as a whole is hesitant at all. That's not what I'm saying.
4: Well, you you did interrupt Celeste, but what you did was you referred to the parents who have children as anti-vax parents, stragglers. You've downplayed it, but I mean, I don't want to argue about that. There are a lot of other callers. It's curious, though, that you didn't ask the city councilman to compare public schools and the situation with private schools and Catholic schools that have been open throughout this pandemic and haven't been taking these hysterical measures. I find that interesting if you're data-driven you would ask that, and one other thing: when you're saying spread, it's a, it's strange. It's spreading two kids from kids. What are the raw numbers? Do you ever hear the raw numbers were being played? Figure out which side you are on, kids. Thank you very much.
0: Thank you, Russell. I actually do want to point out one thing because I, uh, in listening to quite a lot of radio in this. Was it, like 16 hours uh, drive, driving <laughs> from New York to Chicago. Uh, they said there were more than 4.8 million cases of COVID-19 in children since April of last year. That was Those were stats according to the American Association of Pediatrics, and that comprised roughly 15% of all documented cases in our country. I believe we have another call right now? Yeah, absolutely, we do. And yeah, just to be clear, uh,
1: you know, on the, from the last caller, and Russell is certainly a, uh, a loyal caller, a loyal listener to this program. We, we do appreciate his call and all of your calls 212-209-2877 212-209-2877 but the uh, the point i was making there was uh, asking uh, council member mark Traeger, who's the head of the education committee uh, was you know we were speaking about people who protested at that city council hearing and were they sort of the the voices from the peanut gallery in the sense of were they a small vocal minority not representative of people who are are expressing a sort of an anti-vaccine sentiment. But we're going back to the phones right now. WBAI, you're on the air. What's your name and where you calling from? Hello? Hi, you're on the air. What's your name Hi. and where you calling from?
5: Hi my, na- Hi, my name is from New York. Um, I pretty much agree with, with the previous person that just called in. Um, I pretty much agree. I think the coverage on many uh, radio stations I didn't think so much yours because of Gary. No, um, it's biased towards people who aren't, you know, towards parents who don't support masking necessarily or or vaccines. My ex-wife is a teacher. She's been going to um, public school teacher. She's been going in person from the beginning of the pandemic until now. She's never shunned away. Nothing happened to her. Um, I'm a landlord in New York, and even though we're getting beat up by the tenant activists, I show up every day. I had COVID. I recovered. I have the antibodies now. I mean, and, and the word that's being used all the time, including by your station, is cases. Cases could mean nothing. Cases could mean uh, someone having the sniffles. There's never like an asterisk saying how many of these so-called cases people were intubated, people died. You know, it's always like cases that could mean anything, you know, like the whole thing is overblown. I'm not saying it's a hoax. I'm not saying it's fake or anything like that, but it's overblown. It's hysterical to use the word of the previous caller. Thank you.
1: Okay, thanks for your call. I don't know, Jeff, what do you think? Uh, Over 600,000 people in this country dead. Uh, I'm not sure that that's uh, we're overblowing anything by by mentioning that. But uh, I'll, I'll send that over to you, Jeff.
0: Yeah. And I agree. You know, I have heard a number of people express to me they, you know, they they don't realize the extent and the horror of getting COVID until someone in their lives gets it, you know, and and unfortunately, you know, that's been one of the tragedies of this pandemic. You consider the number of people who are hospitalized across the country, mainly with the the Delta variant recently that had not been vaccinated Uh, you know, I I look at the numbers. That's just my personal thing. So I know we only have three minutes left in the show. We have, I believe we had two more callers. We're going to try to squeeze in one more in the next minute. So let's get one more of those calls on. Welcome to WBAI. We have to be really short. What's your name and what's your question or what's your point today?
6: Hey, I think that's me, right?
0: Yes, it is. Go for it. We've got about a minute left with you.
6: Yeah, sorry, sir. Um, Mike from Astoria. I'm friends with a lot of the um, protesters that were at the a council meeting yesterday, uh, one of which, at Joe Speaks Truth on Instagram, is a teacher in the Department of Education. And that gentleman, Mark, lied about the situation. They were there since 10 a.m. They waited four hours to get three minutes of public comment time. Joe is very excited, but she's one of our most vocal leaders in the protest. Uh, she doesn't want to have to lose her job by not getting uh, for not getting va- vaccinated. Um, and they the council people walked off when it was time to do public comment time. So there was no disruption. There was a disruption after they realized that all the people they really wanted to talk to, all the council members walked off. So that was a blatant lie. In terms of uh, the storm, I think I woke up this morning, drove to work in Long Island, saw the two layers of clouds. You see the dark cloud layer lower past the higher cloud layer in the, in the back. Um, they're gonna say it's all about climate change, but we have to question uh, the cia and geoengineering in this uh there's countless patents for this and Mm -hmm. um you know there's it's just something we've never seen before it's it's endlessly you know these crises one on top of the other it's a shame if they are involved because people died um speaking of the cia you know the the united arab Arab emirates is starting to use drones to Mm -hmm. um electrify the skies to start rain this is yeah thank
1: you very much caller i'm sorry that we are running out of time and uh you know what we do appreciate people's calls we do appreciate people's comments and thoughts i don't think we really have time to get in what i'm going to go ahead and call a conspiracy theory about the cia being involved in climate change but hey next week definitely call in and uh, argue with me about that if you'd like to jeff
0: And in fact, we've only got about 60 seconds left. We, I just want to quickly say that you should stay with WBAI this Sunday at 10 a.m. for City Watch with David Brand hosting. He is going to be talking with legal reporter Emma Whitford about the emergency rental assistance program and tenant protections. Under new state legislation, if you hadn't heard, the state is extending the eviction moratorium until mid-January of 2022. And also his other guest, journalist Sam Mellons from New York Focus, discussing the new publication and their work covering Albany. Celeste, any other thoughts as you close the show?
1: Just want to say thanks so much to our special guests today, uh American Federation of Teachers president Randy Weingarten, uh New York City council member Mark Trager. I'd like to thank of course our engineer Reggie. I'd like to thank Jeff, my wonderful co-host and as always, always, always thank you to you our listeners. You are what makes this show interesting and lively and worthwhile and we appreciate it and we always Appreciate your support at WBAI.org. Just click ways to donate. If you missed any part of this program, you could pick it up on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and on the archive section of WBAI.org. I'm Celeste Katz-Marston here with Jeff Simmons. See you on the radio.